That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Nobody ever had the title king in New York before. It's, it was never a title in hip-hop culture that you could aspire to. It was given to Big. Big was breaking so many boundaries, so many records, doing shit we never seen before. We're not thinking about Pac at all. We're thinking about, we got a hot fucking record. 26 years ago, we tragically lost one of the greatest music artists that ever lived. In the sphere of hip hop, Christopher Wallace, AKA the Notorious B.I.G., is revered as one of the greatest of all time writer, rapper, and songwriters, a GOAT. His final body of work was the impeccable double album, Life After Death, a succession of infectious hit records and impossibly poignant rhymes that soared from certified diamond to iconic. 2022 marked the year that Life After Death turned 25 as well as the year that our dear friend Big Papa would have been 50 years old. I'm Angie Martinez, the voice of New York, and I spent five consecutive nights speaking with those who were closest to Biggie during the final 18 months of his life, in and out of the studio. The result is an eight-episode visual podcast fit for a king. For your visible and audio pleasure, welcome to season one of Iconic Records. For the Notorious B.I.G., 1995 was quite the year. Not only was the MC preparing to crush the sophomore Jinx with his second album, he was in full campaign mode for rap's King of New York title. Initially endorsed by the July cover of the number one hip-hop magazine in the 1990s, The Source, Big led the race with the year's hottest street record being his controversial Who Shot Ya? In the premiere episode of Iconic Records, we talked to Who Shotcha's producer and former hitman Nasheem Merrick. Junior Mafia member Klepto gives us a never-before-told story about which rapper the song was actually aimed at. Rap royalty Fat Joe even joins us to speak on his brotherhood with B.I.G. But first, legendary hip-hop journalist Bones Malone reflects on writing that historic cover for The Source 27 years ago and being a dice roll away from signing Big himself before Puff. Bones Malone. Yeah, I haven't yeah. seen you in about two decades. You look great. You look the same. Thanks, man. You do too. You look the same. I feel like you, you know, you held up good. Yeah. <laughs> I always said that we found a fountain of youth early, you know. Maybe you could just tell me about the first time you um you met Big. Big. Do you remember the first you do? Of course you do. How could you not? Well, you know, being at the Source magazine, I came from Spin. So I was experiencing magazine while I was still at RAL and Def Jam. I'm doing the biographies for, for Def Jam, but 
you know, my magazine start was at Spin. When John and Dave of The Source, when they were going public, they wanted to take the magazine national. They contacted me and said, please come with us. You know, we know who you are. This will be all hip hop culture. It'll be people your age. You know, this is one of a kind. And I believed them and I came. And through there, I was able to get um, through unsigned hype, you know, shout out to Maddie C and, and John Sheck. I was able to, to hear his demo. Was it the black tape? Yeah. <laughs> my and tape was black. I don't know. I yeah, had a little black know, tape. I don't know what mine tape. was. I think it said TDK in the side, but I just, I knew right away. Like everybody knew right away. But, you know, the, the interesting thing is when I was listening to it, um, there were references in it that were made talking about Frank White the black Frank White, and I knew right away what that was. You know, there's only one movie in the culture that we, you know, we cling to, and, um, you know, that's King of New York, so I knew right away, you know, where he was going with it, but he didn't say it. And he didn't have to, you know, it's, it's about, the artistry is about being subliminal and, you know, picking up, and that's what makes it even more dope, that you don't have to say it, but you know who we are. So I, you know, they gave me the, the honor to write the cover for Big. And the name of it was King of New York. You know, that was the actual name of the article. They felt that it was so dope. And it was. Especially with Chimo Du's, shout out to Chimo Du forever. Chimo Du's picture, that iconic picture with Big, you know, just, uh, he didn't have the sweater, but he had, you know, with the, the Twin Towers, just mm -hmm. put it on the cover, and that was, that was it. But it was because he had those references in, you know, in the demo already. It's easy for us to say King of New York now, right? Yeah. Because uh, it's obvious, right? But in that moment where he's coming off of, what, unsigned hype, like, to call him or to have it, King of New York, was that a big deal? Like, tell me about the climate of even that title, why it was just understood so early. Like, who made that decision? Was there conflict with it? That's a great question because it's answered in the actual article. Yeah. So if anybody has that issue, read it again. It took me, after, after writing it, it took, I think, at least 10 years to read it again. Why? because it was so far into the future. When you open it you and you're reading it, you'll see that the title of the album is in the interview, mm -hmm. in his answers. Life After Death is in the interview, in his answers. The reason why he's the king of New York is in his answers. And all I had to do was ask the questions and to answer it, the reason, well, I gave him the title because I just explained it was obvious through what, you know, his, his references were in the songs. But what cemented it was that he, he dropped, I think on, it was what, Friday the 13th? <laughs> and that he sold a quarter of a million albums in New York alone. That did it. Nobody ever did that before. Nobody. 
Nobody ever had the title King of New York before. It's, it was never a title in hip hop culture that you could aspire to. It was given to Big. But the thing is that he earned it after mm -hmm. it was given to him the night he dropped. Brooklyn's energy spread to Queens, to the Bronx, Staten Island. That doesn't happen. There's only certain artists that that has happened to, Wu-Tang included, Joe, you know, Buster. There's very few people that ever get that, you know, big pun. Mm -hmm. And Big had it. And I gotta give credit to Puff, too, because, you know, although I had an opportunity to sign Big, and I lost him in a dice game, yeah, I'm gonna need that. I'm, you're not gonna. I've heard the story, but I need a detailed version of this story. The never heard before details of that. Well, I was at Island Records, and out of, um, out of the Mind Squad, the Source Mind Squad, I was the first one to do A and R, and I had Mob Deep. I got Mob Deep through Unsigned Hype, and I'm trying to do well by them, and you know, what do I know about signing an act? And but I, all I knew was that they were dope and I really wanted them, and I think that they earned a shot. They deserved it. So Manny comes over with Big. You know, he comes to after work, yo, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna smoke something and we're gonna roll, roll some dice. And I was like, okay, it's after work, and he comes over, and then it was Big's idea. While we're up there, we're talking about music, Big had something else on his mind, so we're just, we're rolling, he said, we're gonna roll for a deal, and, and oh my goodness. He just timed it just right. I'm all intoxicated. He wants to roll for a deal. I said, good Lord, this is it. And, you know. Wait, so he big setting. Give me the words. I need the yeah, words. Ah, the words. The verbiage. Say, say, yo, yo, I'll play you for, for a record deal. Say, you know, if I win, you sign me. You know, I had to go along with it. I was like, bet. I can't, you know, I can't, um, you know, pull back on something like that because, you know, one thing I understood about big, you know, even before, but especially at that moment, Big is a player. He always says that in his songs, true player. A true player, for anybody who knows from the South what that is, you know, that's when you raise him bread at that moment. Mm. You know, he's a gambler, and he's gambling his life right now. It's like, are you with it? So I'm like, yeah, I'm with it. Even so if I'm reluctant. To, he wanted to sign yeah, with you. Yeah, he wanted to sign with me. You know, because we were neighbors. I lived around the corner from him. He's on St. James, and I'm on Green and Gates. And me and Maddie was in the same You same didn't building. want to sign him, or you just couldn't at the time? I, just, I felt like I couldn't. You know, I felt like I couldn't because I didn't make good with what I already had, uh -huh. you know, with my responsibility. I didn't want to double down, and then if anything collapsed, oh, he sucks, you know what I mean? Uh -huh. And I really respect him, his livelihood, his mom's. You know, it's so much riding on this. It's not just my reputation. You know, it's, it's, I gotta treat it with the respect that it deserves. But at the same time, I can't be no punk. You know, Angie, we gotta roll. Let's <laughs> of roll. Of course, it's a challenge. So we start rolling for three hours. We rolling dice for three hours. And you know, snap on my finger, snap on my finger. He's throwing threes. I'm throwing ones, then he's throwing fours, and then I'm throwing fives, and we're just going back and <laughs> forth. And I'm snapping so hard, my finger splits, and there's blood on the dice. I'm bleeding on the dice. The guy won't let up. He's still throwing bricks. I'm like, oh, my God. And 
I remember the last roll. The last roll, big, through a five. It was two ones and a five. And I used to carry the big club dice so we could see the number. <laughs> That's a five. You know, my man threw a brick. I'm like, good Lord. So now I'm sweating. I'm like, oh, man, here you go. And I shook the dice and I rolled down and it was a six. And he went to bad boy. Tell me your first impression or your first thoughts when you first heard life after that. It was over. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, I, I already saw what King in New York and the first album did. When I saw that picture of a hearse, a hearse? This dude, <laughs> oh man, you dressed like The Undertaker? The balls of this guy. Life after, <laughs> life after death. I really had to sit down, like, you know, like after the fact to think about how I felt about it. But once I saw it, I'm like, oh, the first thing. Everybody was like, this guy is serious. That's even before you hear anything. This is before you hear anything. You just look at it, oh, yo, give me that. You don't even, <laughs> you don't even care what's on it. Yo, just give, give me that. Yeah. Let me get that. Then you hear it. Then you hear it. He's even better this time. And it's a spooky, like, there's spooky songs on there. I mean, Downfall is spooky as hell. Um, Long Kiss? Long Kiss is spooky. It's like, all right, it's, it's, it's dope, but it's creepy. <laughs> it's creepy because I love the dude and, you know, I'm worried. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, concerns. It's like, like I'm a parent now, you know, some hip-hop parent. I'm worried. Well, what did you even make about Biggs? I don't want to say obsession with death, but I mean, his first album was like, ready to die. Then it was life after death. Do you mm. think that there was some type of connection to that? I don't think that he had a death wish, but in the hood, when, when you become recognized, even famous, Getting murdered is a great story. It's just the way that it is. You know, I, I've said over and over that the only people who get killed in my neighborhood are the ones who already know they're going to die. And the reason for that is because they crossed the line somewhere. And instead of leaving, they stayed. They get hit. He only did two albums. Ready to die, life after death. So he had reserved in himself to, this is who I am. You know, I'm gonna gamble my life on a record deal. I want that so bad, uh, I'm gonna gamble my life. And with that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play this all the way to the end. You know, I'm never gonna stop, you're gonna have to kill me. Leave it to Bones to keep it 100. So in 1995, Christopher Wallace was certainly committed to becoming Frank White. And few people had a better seat to watch his ashy to classy transition than another New York giant, who also happened to book Big's first paid show. I talked to Fat Joe to get his insight. There he is. Yo, what's up? The sit, greatest storyteller in the sit, game that's what has, they has arrived. Stay sitting, stay sitting. <laughs> There's no way we could do this without you, Joey. Please do not feed animal. 
That's what they say. <laughs> That's pretty good. Thank you no, so much. No, we have to for so many reasons because number one, I know how much you love Big. And just because it's a different perspective of number one, you as an artist, you being around in that time, hustling mm. the same time, launching pun, uh, you know, pun and and just your relationship. So there's so much mm. to, that we, we, we gonna get from you today, which I'm excited about. Do you remember hearing him for the first time? Yeah, I heard, was him, I heard him partying bullshit for the first time. I knew he was nice. Um, did I know that Big was gonna, I knew because Lord Finesse was working on his first album and Finesse would tell me, yo, this kid Big from Brooklyn, he gonna be something else. Um, but did we know when we didn't know till those things came out? And when them things came out, the next thing you know, we went to every party we ever that was ever popping in New York City, and y'all noticed they would have a hundred guys outside with picket signs. The bad boy. With bad boy and big yeah. and Craig Mack, and we we never seen no shit like no, this. That was Nigga, crazy. Everybody felt like they was in a movie. Vote for big. You know, yeah. he do party and bullshit, and they start a riot on stage, yeah. and then they come. Like, these guys, like, uh, they was not playing. It's so interesting, in, in, like, in retrospect, to look at Big's career. And sure, anybody could say, you know, he's the king of, the king of New York, of course. That mm -hmm. sounds like, that's like, obviously. Mm -hmm. But when you're living it in the moment, and he's, like, fighting mm -hmm. for that position, and it's in real time. I don't think he fought. I think Biggie, uh, Biggie's climb to success was so fast. You know, I was cool with Big. Um, I gave him his first show at the Fever uh, when he was partying bullshit. I had Flojo out already and I was promoting shows on the side. So I had, I picked him up and everything in Brooklyn, that's my man. I used to go see him in Brooklyn. Um, one of my famous stories is one night I was chilling with him in Brooklyn. I had the, the army fatigue, Fat Joe. He had a, a hockey jersey on. We, I was chilling in his house and he was like, yo, you got to come to the show tonight. And he gave me some tickets. I think it was the Palladium. That night I went to the show. He had a fucking salmon suit on with gators. With I was like, oh my god, <laughs> he's gonna be a star. Like I was like, like it just said, I was just with this guy minutes before, and uh, and so before we blink, he was number one, two, and three, and he was like, yo, Brooklyn. We did it, Brooklyn! Like, yeah. that shit was so fast. And yeah. it's so crazy because I'm in the crowd at the Palladium and this, this iconic picture I think Jonathan Mannion took a picture of. And every mansion I ever go to, the picture's up on their wall and it's... Big in the salmon I, But I was in the crowd. Like, you know, Flojo was in the crowd and every time I see that picture, I could just remember the stage moving and where I was. Um, in the club. Isn't it crazy? His because you were taking me to a, a moment. So my 25th birthday party was at the Palladium, and Big walked in. And so what was that year? Like '96. Were you just celebrating your birthday, or we no, knew I had it was your birthday? No, no, it was the Angie Martinez and 25th birthday. This is what I'm saying. And he was in the prime of you know he was big, but and I'm talking about Jay Z was there, Mom Deep was there. It was all these people there, but when Big walked into that room, it was like. It was like yeah, the seas part. It was I'll like, tell you a story. Everybody was like, and I remember that moment thinking, there's like no, he, this is the king of New York has just stepped into my birthday party. You know, you, there was no questioning his um, position in the culture. So, you know you what I'm saying? goosebumps when you explain that. I got goosebumps. 
I know you were at the club. <laughs> you were in the crowd. You weren't in the photo at that time. You wasn't. But but have you seen him in the? Was that the first time you'd seen him at a party no, or a the, club? No. What I was or? explaining was that Biggie's my man yeah. from day one. I met him at the Lyricist Lounge when I was giving out vinyl for Flojo. Flojo was already popping, and so I seen him battling a bunch of kids. Same pub daddy just broke, jumping up and down, talking his shit, this, this, that. And so I met Big, and Big was like, yo, Flojo, we became cool. And so at that time, when, when you put out records, you didn't really make money like now. And so I needed a side hustle, so I would throw parties at the Fever, so I hired Big to come perform there, but I knew from What did jump, you pay him, do you remember? I did, but I don't want to talk about that. That's, was that it was terrible? Like, it was like $1,000, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but that shit was like big, you know what I'm saying? And so it was the first show we ever did, the show. Um, and so we did that, and then we just remained brothers forever, man. And the thing about him is that he never changed. And it's so hard for people not to change. And so people be saying, you change, but the truth is, their perception of you change. Mm -hmm. And I remember I pulled up to a Vibe magazine uh, party, and when I was walking up, yeah, I had just, just dropped my second album. When I was walking up, it was like 500 people around this truck. And as I got closer, I noticed it was big standing on the thing. And for one second, I became that person. For that one second, I said, nah, that, that nigga done changed. You know what I'm saying? And he happened to see me right when I was about to walk away. He was like, yo, crack. Yo, crack him in. And you were baby. like, you didn't change. I was like, I didn't change. <laughs> and I walked up to him and he was, he had little Kim with him and C's, and he was like, yo, tell Joe what we've been pumping all week, all week. And it was my second album, um, Jealous Ones in Me. And then Kim was like, we've been pumping Jealous Ones A's. Like, you got nice, bro. You been done, you know, I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, but it taught me, you know, God taught me an early lesson how um, people don't have to change. It could be your perception of them. You know what I'm saying? Who do you think Big's, like, was there competition or was just, like, undisputed king of New York? It's easy to say that now, but I'm just thinking at the time. At the time, there was Wu-Tang. At the time, there was Nas. Mm -hmm. um, Jay was just, like, still just a baby, just coming in the game. Mm -hmm. We didn't know how great he was yet. Big was breaking so many boundaries, so many records, uh, doing shit we never seen before. This ain't nobody wearing no salmon suit with no salmon gaiters with a fucking hat to match with the fur three-quarter going down. You know, nah, come Spitting on. Spitting like he spit. What? Her papa freaks all the honeys. Everybody was like, oh, my God. So everybody else, um, uh, best way to describe it is always comes an MC at a time where everybody got to sharpen their sword and get with the program or you're going to get left behind because the whole sound is moving. Mm -hmm. You know, so uh, basically, if, if Puffy ain't produce your shit or your remix at that time, if you ain't have a big verse on an R&B feature, right, if you, it, 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 it's, it's hard to explain the uh, chokehold. They might have ran 80, 90% of anything moving on the radio mm -hmm. in America. I they remember. Were, they were doing it like that. Yeah. Like, the, if your shit wasn't a Puff remix, yeah. Featuring B.I.G., your shit wasn't moving nowhere. So tell me about Madison Square Garden with Big and Pac. Man, I was in I was in the front row watching Big Daddy Kane do his set. 
And all of a sudden, you see the crowd, the whole crowd turn back, like looking at the entrance, like the, the tunnel from, you know, like in the Nick game, you come through the tunnel, and it was Pac and Big, and this was like Juice Pac. And Pac knew how to walk in with that little ditty bop. And motherfucker, the whole crowd's like, ah! Like, you couldn't believe it was Pac and Big. And so while they was walking, they see me, right? So Pac is like, yo, come on, crack. Come on. So I go with them, right? And so we go back up there. We go up on stage. I think Shaheem was there, too, from Wu-Tang. Shaheem the Rugged Child. We went up stage, and then they start that cypher that. I got Tech Mac 11s about eight. 38s, 9s, I was, you want to talk about standing next to somebody? I was on fucking stage with Biggie and What were and you Pop. doing when they were doing that? Nervous as fuck. Because <laughs> all I had was flow, Joe. I ain't had no bars ready. Fucking nothing. <laughs> they might have, Big Daddy K might have saved me because I would have did some bullshit. And, um, and they passed me the mic, yo, Fat Joe. And then Big Daddy K interrupts and goes, yo, yo, we ain't got no time. Because I think Scrap luck, Love Around, so man, they dissed me. It's okay, Big Daddy Kane. I they love you. They saved you is what they, they did. They saved me, man. They <laughs> saved me. But that record is another record. Every time he comes on, I tell a story to whoever I'm next to. I'll be like, I was there. I was standing right next to these guys. <laughs> you got to believe me. I was there. I was to the right of these guys. And, and uh and that's that's I think that's the one time they caught them both rapping together. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That's legendary, legendary moment. What? And then, you know, I, you, I always told Nori this story. And then one day, Nori interviewed Big Daddy Kane or Dream Chaps, and Nori asked him, like, yo, what's up? You fronted on? He's like, yeah, I fronted on Fat Joe. <laughs> you saved Fat Joe. And he, I, he saved Fat Joe, because I would have came with some ticky ticky taw, ticky ticky taw, you know? That was, was that, that a time. Was that a real freestyle, or did they plan that? Oh, no, that's a freestyle. They just came off the street. And the crowd went in the frenzy, and uh, Big Daddy Kane was headlining. And he only had a couple of more minutes left. And so they threw on the beat, and they started going. And they started free. To all my niggas in the pen, here we go again. Ain't nothing separating us from a Mac 10. And all that. They, I was there. I was standing right there, innocent bystander. Uh, wow. Yeah, that was legendary. Legendary. What is your favorite song on this album? I, I really don't even know what's my favorite B.I.G., but I would say Who Shot Ya. You know, I remember uh, when that record came out, I had a sound system. I had a truck. My speakers in the back were so fucking big, and I was just... <laughs> of course they were. And I was fucking driving. You know how you had to open the back window? And I was driving around the Bronx for hours, Blasting them. Eh, who shot you? Separate the weak from the opposite. It's on, nigga. Fuck all that crippling beef. I can hear sweat, and I'm driving down the X like, oh my God. Okay, so now that you understand where Biggie's status ranked in the mid 90s, it's time we dive into the prelude of Life After Death. And that one song that had him leading the King of New York race, Who Shot Ya? I sat down with song producer Nasheem Merrick. Nasheem, <laughs> welcome. Welcome, boo. How What's are you, up, love? Edge? Good to see you. Thank you. Good to see you. Welcome to our... Yeah, I see, I see. VRG here. Wow. Well, what was the vibe and the atmosphere being that bad boy at that time and the expectations for what Big was about to be? Uh, we already knew what Big was going to be. Like, we didn't know it was going to be that big. Right. But we knew he was the ace in the hole. You know, Craig came out first. Mm -hmm. 
with um with Flavia Get Air and that rang off. <laughs> that went monster. Yeah. Right? But uh, that was a napalm we put on them. But we knew who was uh we knew who was destined to carry us through. You know, especially after the after we was after we did ready to die, forget about it. Mm. We already knew like that was the illest album ever. Yeah. When was the first time you were in the studio with him? Uh, well, the first time, like I said, was that night. But um, the first time I actually, we actually came down and recorded a session in Manhattan. We was doing the Method Man in what? him mm -hmm. joint, and we did the interlude with with. Uh, when he's having sex on the couch, or, or, or you know, and then <laughs> we did that. We did that in the loo that night also. So it was a funny night that night. How does that happen? What goes down then? How do you create that? It was people rocking the rocking the bed, <laughs> and you know, niggas on the mic just having the ball. Was that his idea? Of course. Yeah, yeah. Everything was big idea. Mainly, mainly. Yeah. Well, a lot of it was Puff, too, mm -hmm. you know? Like, Big didn't want to do, uh... He didn't want to do certain songs, like Big Papa. Mm -hmm. He didn't like that record. Uh, Juicy, he didn't like that record. And he didn't want to do them records. So, um... But Puff knew he needed singles. And those were them. So Big Papa was the last song we did. In fact... Me and Chucky had did the beat for Big Papa, the Osley Brothers joint. And we had gave it, Puff has told us to give it to the Lost Boys because Big didn't want it. He wouldn't, he refused to do it. Wow. But we had, I had to get it back from him. So we traded them. We had another beat that Craig didn't want to do. And that was the Jeeps, the, the Beamers and the Benz beat. So I traded him that beat to the Lost Boys for Big Papa back. And that's how them two songs became. Wow. What was the Lost Boys going to do with the Big Papa beat? I don't know. <laughs> I thought the same thing. Did you have a favorite song on Life After Death? I can't, I can't say. Why? I, I, don't, I don't have a favorite. I mean, there's a lot of tracks on there that's just... Even Primo kicking the door. Um... Ten Crack Commandments. And I had, come on, I did Who Shot You. That beat wasn't even for Big. Who was it for? That was for Mary's My Life album. What? It was for an interlude on Mary's My Life album for Keith Murray. <laughs> Puff loved Keith. It was for Keith Murray. Keith came to the session. He, he did his thing. And then he's like, yo, I got to go. I said, like, where you going? I said, I don't know, but I got to go. I was like, all right, Keith. <laughs> I can't hold you here. You know what I'm saying? Who am I to hold you here? So Puff was like, listen, he brought LL in on it. And I don't know what happened with that. Did, I was, did LL spit a verse on it? He wrote. I know I seen him writing, but I don't know what happened after that. I mean, I was there with them for a little while, but then I split, and I don't know what happened with that. Then Puff comes to me and is like, yo, Go find your man Big and get him on this record if you want this track on the record. Because we it was a weekend. It was a Friday. 
and it, we had to turn it in on Monday. And he was like, yo, um, I think he's outside the Club USA. That shit was on um, 7th Avenue at the time. And um, I I got him, um, I had a rental, a hoopty rental, and I rode around the block a few times, and I seen him. Um, I was like, yo, come to the studio, please, big. I got to get this record done for Mary. He was like, yeah, I heard. I heard, the, I heard it's hot. I was like, yeah, the beat is all right, man. So he comes in, and he bodies it that night. But he says at the end of the verse, he says, I leave you leaking like Michael Jordan's pops. That's when Michael Jordan's pops just got killed. I was like, yo, Big, you can't leave that on there. It's not going to make the album. It's not. He was like, I'm leaving it. I think he did that on purpose. So it didn't make the album. So Puff had no choice. He was like, we got to make it a single. Because it's too hot just to, you know, put on the shelf. So Big changed the verse for his single, added a verse. And that's how that became that. That was crazy, that song. And then when it hit, do you remember when the streets heard it? Yeah. Tell, me, the, tell me that moment. When the streets heard it, I mean, I was like, yeah. I was that's the first that's the first record I ever produced. And Wow. I mean I was like, God Out the gate? Who out shot the you? Gate. <laughs> out the gate. Who wow. shot you? Ooh. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> you have arrived. I've arrived. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then um and then it took a whole nother turn. Once Pac heard it, we're not thinking about Pac at the time. Bad timing on our part, right? But we're not thinking about Pac at all. We're thinking about, we got a hot fucking record. And Pac hears it, and of course, that situation that unique had just happened. So he takes it personal. Even the shots, bow, 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 bow. I put them in. We did that way before he got shot. And um, Pac ran with that shit. And Pac even knew that wasn't for him because Nichols, his road manager, went to Pac on the island and told him puffing them had nothing to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Don't take that, don't take that whatever personal. They had nothing to do with that shit. Pac was like, well, I already did the the vibe interview. So it's no, no taking it back. You know what I'm saying? I already did the vibing. The vibing interview, he said what he said. But then that record becomes a battle record. It wasn't even a battle record. Big wasn't speaking to nobody on that. Mm -hmm. You know? So you can't choose, you can't choose between who shot you and hit him up. Because then the... I, the objective was different. Thank you. Yeah, got it. Biggie came on my show, actually, and said that. It had just dropped, and he came up. He was like, nah, I didn't tell him. And he said, you know, that's we, we recorded that way before that happened. Way and, before. October 1st. Yeah. We recorded that October 1st of 94. Yeah. I have I have the dat, mm. and, that's, and that's the date on the dat. 
I remember Big coming up to my show and saying and making it uh, his a point to make sure everybody knew he recorded the song early and me feeling like, whoo, well that's settled. I thought <laughs> I thought everything was gonna be okay. Nah, from there. see Pac is way more intelligent than that. Mm. And he used that as a chess move. Mm. Nasheem wasn't the only one in the recording studio the night Big laid his Who Shot Your Verse. Junior Mafia's kleptomaniac has a hell of a story to share. Klepto meeting Big. Wow. The full story? Yes, please. Okay, I, I'll blow through it. So Big, yeah, I met Big. I actually met Big in the tunnel. In the tunnel. Oh, was, the legendary tunnel. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was actually the Grammys after party. I used to try to get on with rap. So I wanted to be a rapper, of course, like everybody, every kid in New York. So I was looking at the Grammys on TV and I see all these different people. And I'm like, you know what? Let me go to this after party. So I go with my boys and we meet. I had just bought a new car. So I was probably, what, seven, 18, 17, 18, maybe? We get in the tunnel. I'm wondering who I'm going to rap to. I don't know anybody really in the game. I knew Special Ed. I went to school with him and, and Buster Rhymes. We were both in the same fourth grade class, by oh the way. Yeah, yeah, we both We both go way back. <laughs> but um, we all go way back, I should say. But I'm sitting on the other side of the bar looking around. I see brand Nubians. I see Wu-Tang. I see different people. And I look at the doorway. I see, I see Biggie Smalls, because that's what everybody called him back then. Mm -hmm. Biggie just had party and bullshit, and what's the 411, but you still knew he was that this dude. Is, yeah, yeah. yeah like but it's if, pre ready to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. like, yeah, if you're a rapper, you know, like, this dude right here, he that dude. Mm -hmm. And I walk up to him, I say, yo, what up? Yo, what up, Big? You know my man June. I say, yo, my name is Clef. I'm the nicest nigga that ain't out. To this day, and I say this multiple times, he looked at me, he looked me up and down. So I'm DKing wide out, jewelry, tag Hoyer watch, like all of that was super fly back then. He said, yo, I believe you. So, and then shook my hand, or it might've been a pound, like, he was like, yo, I believe you. So in the midst of him saying, I believe you, the club was over. So they all like, yo, he, he either shouted to C's, cause I didn't know who C's was, cause I didn't know C's then. So. He was like, yo, 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 let's get a taxi. I'm like, yo, I got a car. I could drive y'all, like, where y'all going? He said, oh, you got a ride? I said, yeah, I got a ride. He said, um, he said, all right, go get it. So now I'm like, all right, perfect. In my mind, perfect. So <laughs> I just bought a brand new Q45. Like, it was like, it was hot. I'm just wondering how a 17, 18 year old kid got, you know, but go ahead, yeah, carry on. So, so <laughs> I, got the, I got the Q45, no tints, jet black brand new so i go in the car drive up the block and when i pull up to the front of the tunnel biggest standing out there with c's bones malone and cheek del vec and when they looked and saw the car I had that it was like fireworks went off like i seen it in their face like oh shit that's what he driving <laughs> so so i pull up to the front big gets in and people still coming out and all really hanging around he sits in the front seat. Um, C's got in the back bones, cheek, cheek delvet. And um, we just posted up in front of the tunnel. So now about, about five minutes later, all my boys come out the club. So they come out and they look and see Big sitting in my front seat in the car, I mean, in front of the tunnel. So after that, 
he took us to Chelsea Diner, which is still open, of mm-hmm. course, yeah. Classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we went to Chelsea Diner. After that, we got back in my car, and I didn't have any beats back then, like like instrumentals. So I rhymed off a off a um Souls of Mischief, Never No More, just because I liked that beat. So I actually rapped all the lyrics I had over another rapper's song while they were rapping. (laughs) And I rapped everything to them that I had. Mm -hmm. So after that, me and Big just started hanging out heavy. Mm -hmm. Like, we'll go go everywhere. Like, we'll go to Queensbridge, pick up Nas, and then I'm not going to lie, the Q45 helped. So, so you had a we, good yeah, ride. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. The timing was perfect because he was forming Junior Mafia, and then I was heavy in the streets, and he loved like I'd meet, pick him up, and we'd go place. He'll take me to stuff like industry wise that was super dope, and I'd be in the hood. I lived on Ocean Avenue. I had him in a barber shop there. So dudes is bugging like, yo, baby, yo, Terrence, Terrence Sport, Biggie around, yo, yeah, Biggie Smalls on the block, like da da. In the interim, me and him, we just got super cool because we were everywhere. Like, we shoot all over the place. Were you there for some of the sessions of Life After um, Death? I was there for the Notorious Thugs when they were mixing when they were mixing that down. Like, that was, like, hypnotic. Like, I, I couldn't believe it to walk in because I tell people when I walked in that session, it was crazy because the beat is already so phenomenal, but to hear it, broken into the granular pieces mm-hmm. of that beat separate and then slowly building on top of the rest of the beat. That shit was crazy. It was yeah. a different flow for Big, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Clearly. Big, Big is like that. And to speak about how genius he is, he rapped their style like it was his style. Yeah. Like, nobody could deny that. He came in like, yo, this, this is my style. Like, I've been doing this. Like, that's how much he could adjust. And people people talk about now, and a lot of people ask, if Biggie was alive, what do you think he would be doing? And this, that question just triggered something. Big is the type of guy, he feeds off the energy of what other artists are doing and he feels like, okay, I gotta top that. He's almost like, for real, like a like a Jordan or something. Were you there when the... he did the verse? No, 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 I wasn't no, there. I was Big there. there when they were mixing it though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you he were there. Big? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big yeah, was yeah, there. Yeah. yeah, Big was there. I went there to see him. What about who shot you? Yeah, who shot you? Yeah, that 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 there, there was a lot going on. Everybody thought like, oh, Biggie, Biggie made that. Biggie made that for Tupac, which wasn't the case. But there's layers to that story, so I got I to give you like the the Take whole the whole buildup. So the night he did who shot shot, we were at Jason's lyrics after party. Jason's lyric after party. So it was me and him. We went to the after party. We were chilling, and I never forget that that um day because I'm not gonna blow it up, but I'm gonna blow it up. I almost bagged Jada Pinkett in the party <laughs> that day. <laughs> no, no, I'm gonna blow it up, but back to Biggie. So now we back to the party, and that whole night, it was raining, pouring rain, but Puff wanted me to come to the studio. So I'm like, um, yo, why don't we just go to the studio and listen to the beat? We go to the studio, and it's Puff, the engineer, LL Cool J, me and Big, that's it. That's who's in the studio. So it gotta be maybe like three something in the morning, maybe-ish. So we get in the studio and Puff bring us in and plays the beat. And me and Big just look at each other like, 
we we gave each other that look like oh shit like oh shit so on top of us giving each other that look like oh shit Keith Murray's verse comes in because Keith Murray was originally on it for Mary's Mary's album mm-hmm. so we heard Keith Murray check this met this bubonic playing in your neck chest back arms and legs so me and Big just started like oh shit I was tired I was drunk I fell asleep for about maybe an hour. So I woke up <laughs> when he finished creating the verse. We sitting in the main console room with Puff and everybody, and Big is in there laying the verse. So it's me, Puff, LL, and the engineer. So Big start laying the verse, and soon as I hear old school, new school need to learn, though, I burn, baby, burn like disco inferno. Burn so, something in my mindset. I kind of look over at L, but not really look over at L. People never knew why LL made I Shot Ya. It was from that day when Biggie made Who Shot Ya. So wait a minute. Yes, let's wait a minute. So LL was in the... What was LL doing there, first of all? I don't know. So you believe LL took offense I'm sure he did, because you felt it in the room while it happened. Like, it's like... What, the, what was happening in the room? Break, what was the energy? It's like, oh, shit. Like, like oh, shit. Like, you want to look at like, oh, shit, what you going to do now? Like, like, it was that kind of feel. But, and then me and Big, we laughed about it. Like, damn, son, why you came at him like that? You just laughed. Like, like if we had one of those moments, me and Big, because yeah. we used to bug out. But one thing I could say that uh, it made me respect being down with Big more is I was like, Ellen, come right back at him. But if you think about it, he did I shot you, but people put, wouldn't put two and two together. Definitely yeah, not. Yeah, people wouldn't put... But if you think about it, who shot you? I shot you. Who shot you? I shot you. Do the math. And then if we go back after listening to this, why would you make a song called I Shot You? after somebody just made a song asking the question, who shot you? So we finished Sky's the Limit, and at the end of the session, he goes, this is my favorite record. Yo, as far as I'm concerned, I quit. By, by that time, Puff is like, no, I need the same suit as him. Puff's, and then Brig was like, don't tell him I'm getting double-breasted. <laughs> Like, we're not gonna look like kid and play. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so he was like, yo, what up? Yo, what up? Yo, what up? Yo, what up? Yo, it's 112 of you niggas for real. <laughs> so, 